0: And welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Anna Kearney-Gagné. Anna is an independent folklorist and adjunct professor affiliated with Memorial University of Newfoundland's ethnomusicology program. An historian by heart, she has extensively written about 20th century folk song collectors and collecting practices, and she explores the wide range of influences that continue to shape our rich musical tradition, including such popular media as newspapers, broad songsters and radio programs, and vinyl recordings. In November, she will release her fourth major publication, The Forgotten Songs of the Newfoundland Outports, as taken from Kenneth Peacock's Field Collection, 1951-1961. Anna. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: It's nice to have you here. Okay. I, I was saying we haven't had a chat in a long time.
1: No, we haven't. And we, yes, <laughs> and
0: we have to we have to do it uh, officially and record it for pros- for posterity. Um, so uh, thank you for coming on the show, and I'm excited about this new book. You must be very excited.
1: I am. Yes, actually, it's been a, a, about four or five years in the in the works. Yeah. yeah.
0: So for people yeah. who aren't familiar with uh, Kenneth Peacock's work, who who was he?
1: Um, well, he was a classical musician. Um, um, a, originally from Toronto, and then ended up um, working for the National Museum uh, of Canada in 1951. He uh, decided to come to Newfoundland on the spur of the moment, more or less as a summer job. He was coming here uh, on the recommendation of, a, of another collector for the museum uh, named Margaret Sargent, and she had been in the uh, Newfoundland. She had actually written Joe Smallwood saying, "Now that Newfoundland has joined the Dominion of Canada, we would like to come and collect your folk songs." <laughs> so she arrived uh, and spent six weeks, and went back and reported to Marius Barbeau uh, the wealth of information that she had acquired, and she ran into. Peacock on Bank Street in Ottawa and said, look what I've found. And he was thrilled. Uh, So then when she went off to uh, uh, get married, uh, she suggested that he take her place. So while he was attempting to create classical compositions, uh, he thought that this would be a great summer job. So we spent uh, first 1951 and 1952 here in the field. uh, And then he returned again between 1958 and 1961. So he collected approximately 800 songs on on field tape as well as by hand, uh, and I think the fact that he was able to take music down by hand in places that weren't electrified, such as uh, Fogo, for example, was really something. Um, and he basically then set about transcribing all of this music and ended up producing a song a collection called uh, the Songs of the Newfoundland outports, three volumes um, with about f- over five hundred titles, uh, four hundred titles, I think, in a little over five or six hundred songs, mm. so it became the songs of the newfoundland outports people people know know it as the peacock collection, but they don 't really know a whole lot about him, and I think um, Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing him in person and then talking with him many times over the telephone about his experiences. Um, And so that led to him talking about the people that he had met, uh, the exchanges, his own romance with Newfoundland. Um, yeah, so he, it's quite a collection.
0: You, you mentioned that he went to Fogo Island. Where where, yeah. where else did he visit? Where did he do the bulk of his uh, his recording? He
1: actually collected in about thirty eight communities across the province. He never he never did go to Labrador because um, McEdward Leach, the American uh, folklorist, had worked out an arrangement with the Canadian uh, with the National Museum of Canada to go there. So, uh, but both. Publications ironically came out in the same year. So Leach's uh, Folk Songs of the Lower Labrador and then Peacock's uh, Songs of the Newfoundland Outports. Um, he, he initially uh, went uh, down the Avalon Peninsula uh, to Cape Broyle and Fairyland area. Then he had heard about Fogo and decided that he would go over there and he talked about kind of getting the boat. Uh, across and, uh, you know, walking through communities. Um, And he also ended up uh, in the Trinity area, um... And he uh, ended up on the west coast of Newfoundland as well, Gros By 1958, he was up in Gros and, and as far north as Belburns, hmm. where he.
0: It, it must uh, have been an interesting time for for him to come. This fellow, yeah. this classical music uh, person from Toronto, to come yeah. to the newest part of Canada at that point. Yes, you know,
1: yeah. Um, I certainly think that he he experienced so many changes. Um, he was um, a, a rom- I feel that he was a romanticist in the sense that he was longing for the old way of life and he often spoke about you know things like country and western music tainting the tradition mm-hmm. and um, uh, he was very interested in the older music but he was also pretty broad in his collecting so he acquired lots of uh, local compositions uh, Canadian folk songs British, American, Irish um some of them, of course, uh, ended up in Songs of the Newfoundland Outports. And then this particular collection uh, re- that I'm putting out now represents uh, about 127 songs that he decided not to include. Right. So,
0: so let's talk then a little mm-hmm. bit about what he did He did include in his mm-hmm. collection. And what, what kinds of materials did he favor?
1: Um, well, definitely something that had a good melody. Um he was looking for songs that I think were more complete. Uh he would not have been inclined to include song fragments. Um there's definitely uh there's a French collection, some of the Gaelic material, representation from right across the island from every, you know, all of the communities that he visited. Uh wonderful Irish material, uh occupational ballads, broadsides. Um you know, uh, songs about um, uh, wood- working working on the logging, working in the woods, um, children's songs. Uh, so there's, you know, a, a wide selection, and I think this is why it's been a Bible, because it came out, um, although Gerald S. Doyle, for example, who many people will know from the old-time songs of Newfoundland, um, Doyle put out, you know, uh, by that time, by nineteen fifty one when Peacock started his research, Doyle had put out nineteen twenty seven and nineteen forty uh, old time songs of Newfoundland. Um, so there was and then Maud Carpolis and had put out uh, folk songs from Newfoundland, and Elizabeth Greenleaf and Grace Mansfield had published ballads and sea songs of Newfoundland. When Peacock came, he felt that um, there was this huge gap. And uh, he was aiming to broaden out our understanding of what Newfoundland Folk Song was. And I think it's because of his determination uh, to make so much song material available that we ended up with three volumes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Elizabeth Greenleaf's was... Uh, basically, about three hundred pages, Maud Carpalas hadn 't even published her second compendium of folk songs for Newfoundland. It was really thirty songs in um, uh, uh, musical arrangements for piano because she was part of this tradition of bringing British folk song uh, to the parlor, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know he was determined and he really encouraged the National Museum to uh, bring out this this collection. And he worked all his life on contract. He never worked. I think he worked for a very brief time as an employee. So he kind of uh, was doing things on contract, and then uh, you know working for people like Helen Creighton. Um, most people don't know, for example, that uh, based on his 1951 and 52 collection, uh, Gerald S. Doyle approached him and uh, pro- approached the museum because he was aware of Peacock's collecting and said, Well, you know, we'd like to include some of this uh, material in our third volume. And the museum said to Peacock, Give him whatever. He likes, of course. I think this was a way of showing Canadian, of showing Newfoundlanders that Canadians were very much welcoming them into uh, into Canada and celebrating the fact that they had this rich musical tradition. So half of the songs in uh, uh, Doyle's 1955 publication came from Peacock. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
0: What do we know about his field work? Like how Mm. he conducted field work?
1: Mm. Well, uh, uh, when I first I first discovered the Peacock collection as a singer way back in my Delta Dawn days, I will say. (laughs) Uh, And so um, I had happened to run into uh, Becky Bennett and and Annie Walters up on the Great Northern Peninsula. And that was my first time ever interviewing, meeting with people that he had uh, visited. And I thought, gee, nobody's really looked at Peacock the Man. So I spent a lot of time when I was doing my PhD basically revisiting the collection and taking it apart and making contact with people that Peacock had actually interviewed and I was really fortunate because at that time, um, you know, 10 years ago, um, uh, Gordon Willis for example from Fogo was still alive. Um, Becky Bennett was still alive. Uh, So it was an opportunity for me to visit uh, with the families of people that Peacock had uh, uh, visited. And really it was uh, often a case of referral or often a case of luck, I think. He had definite areas that he wanted to go to. I, I seem to think when he was in St. John's he didn't want to collect songs in the city uh, it, and the first person he ran into was Lloyd Soper, Judge Lloyd Soper, um, who himself would readily admit I'm not a traditional singer, but he sang peacock three songs, one of which the first one I think which is the Hammer Jane and peacock wasn't overly impressed with that particular song Um, although it's one of the songs that I am publishing for all kinds of reasons Um, anyway so I think it was Lloyd Soper that recommended that he could perhaps go down the southern shore and he met with people told him go see the Rice family in Cape Royal Um, and so he interviewed Jim and Ned Rice he met Mike Kent a wonderful singer who claimed that he could sing a song for every day of the year Uh, and he met uh, Monica Rossiter so the the, the Rossiter family Within Cape Royal itself, they were known. They were a known family of uh, to to have uh, music uh, uh, as part of their family tradition. So I had an opportunity then myself to uh, talk with Monica Rossiter mm. and learn a little bit more about her music from within. Um, he visited um, uh, uh, Howard Morey in Fairyland and he had a great relationship with uh, Mister Morey who talked to him about the English settlement, uh, which of course now is the colony of Avalon. Um, and uh, then he headed off to uh, Fogo, and I think he just basically asked around. Uh, in Fogo, he met Chris Cobb, uh, later to become the subject of one of Colin Lowe's productions. Uh, and he um, Chris Cobb was uh, very well known for local compositions about everything uh, under the sun, and also singing you know mm. incredible songs at the same time he visited he walked to tilting and visited philip Foley who and he was really taken with Philip Foley's Irish singing and if you listen to the music of uh, Philip, it's really lilting and very ornate um, and so he spent a lot of time uh, as well taking down philip foley's. Uh, uh, you know, Bonnie Young Irish Boy and uh, Napoleon's Farewell, Uh, incredibly difficult songs to sing in many ways. Mm. Um, So it was really in some cases by referral, Uh, in some cases it was happenstance. Uh, When he hit the great northern peninsula, he spent several summers up in that area Um, and he had been in Cormac and uh, interviewing a a lady there, and she basically collected three songs in that community. But they said, who you really should go see is Arthur Nicole and Annie Walters up in Rocky Harbor. And so he did, and they then, he spent time with them and they said, well, you should also see the Bennets up in St. Paul's and um so he spent his first summer of 1958 and this was a, a summer after a very long break with his tape recorder he spent i think there must be about 17 hours of uh, songs with the bennett family alone 17 hours wow that's huge yeah
0: so where is the material now so he he collected stuff so on collected recording so collected stuff on, yeah, on it, tape?
1: yes and actually the fa- the he was a um, He was a field technician uh, extraordinaire. He knew about tape recording. He had fooled around with tape recorders in the 1940s. And you've got to remember, like tape recorders are brand new Uh, magnetic tape, the whole concept of of using uh, this kind of tape for field recording. Um, So he brought his material back to the National Museum uh, in Ottawa and basically transcribed. Now to transcribe the music plus the lyrics, at that time you know you were basically doing stop start stop start uh you wouldn't have the nice little foot pedals and amazing slow downer technology <laughs> yeah, that we yeah. have today yeah. uh and so it was really uh to his credit ironically peacock the newfoundland collection is only one portion of his entire canadian collection because he went on from newfoundland to go right out west and he collected you know from several different uh Communities and cultures across the country, but the Newfoundland connection, of course, uh, uh, was quite astounding, and um, so. He, he did do, actually, a number of things with the material. Uh, this was the age of broadcasting. This was the age of folk revival, Canadian folk revival, and people like Edith Folk uh, and Helen Creighton were producing Folkways records and radio programs, and uh, he just followed suit. So he was part of this nucleus of people promoting Canadian material. Alan Mills, of course, uh, um, who uh, created you know several albums of Canadian... Songs. So, our uh, Alan Mills's songs of Newfoundland, favorite songs of Newfoundland. He, uh, Mills approached him to do the, uh, to do the music, and uh, chords for that particular um, publication. He even put out his own f- album through Folks Ways, Two albums, actually, but the Newfoundland album was sort of, you know, Kenneth Peacock sings ballads of Newfoundland. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't a, uh, uh, it wasn't a bestseller. <laughs> Uh, Because what people were looking for, I think, was more the voices of the people themselves. Right, yeah. But I think he didn't feel that he had as good recordings as maybe he realized in later years.
0: Can can you talk a little bit about the the sources of some of the the songs and tunes Mm. themselves? Where did this material come from originally?
1: Mm. Uh, I I think the thing that I have found really interesting uh, is... uh, First of all, I should say Peacock never considered himself to be the greatest of annotators. When you pick up his publication, um, sometimes he will have sparse notes about what he thinks the song is, or he might have, you know, found one or two sources. Um, so, uh, and it's always made for interesting reading. But I've felt that you know these songs are a starting point for understanding the fluidity of the Newfoundland song tradition. Mm. If you look at an Elizabeth Greenleaf publication of Newfoundland songs. She's much more detailed in her annotations. For example, drawing from Harvard, for Harvard's vast library, because she was networked with Harvard. Um, What I found really astounding uh, is that when you look at the songs and you try and find out where these sources are, I found myself going through the Digital Archive Initiative, for example, at Memorial University and Googling things like um, 617 songs and ballads of Ireland, because uh, we learned that Philip Foley used used to use... Books. We discovered that newspapers were a huge source, and people will remember the Family Herald uh, and Weekly Star that had a section in it devoted to songs. And, and of course, that particular newspaper, just like Gerald S. Doyle's Mm -hmm. uh, newspaper, The Family Fireside, it went everywhere in the province. So these newspapers provided a very vital way for people to acquire songs. Um, And then, of course, you had men going into the lumberwoods Exchanging songs, Uh, and Ursula Kelly's uh, recent album on the lumbering tradition uh, in Newfoundland highlights the 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 vibrancy of that particular environment. So you know you'd have song exchanges, uh, newspapers, songsters, Um, while the ballad the uh, broadside tradition in Newfoundland is not as extensive as it is in. Uh, in England and Ireland, certainly broadsides made their way over, and of course you think of the number of Newfoundlanders that simply would hop on boats and go to England, go to various communities, and it would just seem highly likely that they would be in pubs or wherever where songs would be sung, uh, and sometimes hawked on the streets in form of broadside ballads. So I've certainly been able to link up a lot of. Uh, songs that that uh, both in the published and unpublished collection with this material country and western music something that he abhorred uh, is a, another uh, good example um, uh, The Soldier's Last Letter uh, Red Stewart I think it is uh, very popular song in the late uh, in, in the early 50s it ended up Uh, being on radio, people could get his material. You could see adverts in newspapers for country and western artists, and of course people would go after those songs and learn them, Mm. learn them off a record. And this goes contrary to the very early forms of what is of folk tradition you know it's supposed to be passed orally well that as we know now is a huge fallacy and people learn by many many ways and it's really personal interest what attracts you to a song
0: and then of course there were also people who were who were creators who were songwriters who were who were drafting their own their own songs
1: yes uh well chris cobb uh is one good example um uh, he has a, a, a song called Brown Flower, for example, which ends up in Outports, uh, which talks about his. You know, it's just the when uh, the availability of, of brown flour and other little things that you could get in stores. There's another song that he wrote, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, also, uh, th- um, fun things like uh, the uh, the uh, timber for the bridge at St. Paul's uh, is a. Story about constructing a bridge to get across St. Paul's River to get up the great northern peninsula. And it was created in the early part of the 20th century. It was one of the ones that Peacock collected but didn't publish. And I think it's because it was too esoteric. People didn't really... He didn't see how it would relate Mm. to uh, the greater public but when you look at the song it's an occupational song and it's also a song about a time and a place Um, and many people will talk about the fact well the bridge never worked in the first place (laughs) it it washed out Um, so you know these are songs about uh, you know real life situations in communities
0: so, so tell me, tell me then a little bit now uh, about the material that has made it into into yeah. your new book.
1: Um, well, I should say why did I publish this? book? Bu- <laughs> why did why you am publish I publishing this book? This book? Um, one of the things that I did was to sit down and listen to all of the songs the Peacock collected, all the sound recordings, and it's really exciting because you get to hear a repertoire from an individual. So uh, one of, one day I was sitting down listening to Freeman Bennett. Uh, sing songs, and of course many many people will know uh, Freeman because he was a storyteller, a riddler, uh, and this incredible singer. And all of a sudden he starts singing, well it's goodbye John, and don't so long, uh, thump, thump, thump to me old uh, and it's. and I thought, this is not a traditional song as I know, where did this come from? Um, and so, Peacock of course, didn't publish it. Um, uh, Leonard Hewlin sang a thing called Miss Angelina Brown. Uh, And so I started looking at trying to differentiate between what Peacock published and what he didn't publish. And of course, sometimes he would choose versions of songs um, and he would take maybe to make the song to improve the song, which is something that we shudder about today, um, he might take a line here, a stanza there, to embellish the song or to make it more complete. Because his audience wasn't just academics, his audience was uh, people like you and me who are interested in the songs or, you know, musicians. So he had a wide market. So. Um, so this particular collection, um, there's about 127 songs uh, that are in there. Several of them have never been published before.
0: I was going to ask, what can people expect uh-huh. when they open up the book?
1: Yeah, well, uh, they can... Uh, um, uh, Any Dear I'm Called Away is a lovely song uh, that dates dates back to... I think that one dates back to the Crimean War. Um, the British Music Hall is something that uh, appears in Newfoundland uh these music hall songs, uh, of course, this was printed material that was shipped out from England and appeared in Newfoundland and elsewhere. So there are examples like "Goodbye John," um, the Hammer Jane. Why did I? Yeah, publish? why did you pick this one? In well, because it's a it's a song that sang song, performed with a very dramatic voice, and this is something people Peacock abhorred was this performance. But the history of the Hammer Jane actually comes right from British music hall. Um, it's uh, the it, its ancestors uh, uh, the uh, broadside william and Dinah uh there were parodies of that particular broad uh, of that particular ballad performed in a british music hall and uh, so it this dramatic voice in humor in parody and so ha- it had a very special place and of course the Hammer Jane is a parody of a you know of a of a Newfoundland boat that goes astray and the lovers end up intertwined in a in a in a graveyard someplace um uh, song. Uh, there's uh, the occasional fragments of songs, uh, the uh, Wreck of the Schooner, Arabella, which uh, was supposed to have been loaded too much on one side. It ended up uh, going off on the Bay of Islands. And um, one of the things that I've been finding really interesting is going into, as I mentioned, places like the Digital Archive, and you just Google a couple of words and you never know what you're going to come up and find. So going back to 617 Irish songs and ballads, that particular publication was sold here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that means that that definitely was a source for Mm -hmm. people. So I'm finding that this uh, influence of uh, vinyl, of songsters, of newspapers and so forth, um, very strongly, uh, it, you know, turns uh, this collection into something more than just a series of songs.
0: There is going to be a, a multimedia component uh, to this collection as well. There's going to be some material online.
1: Yes, actually, there are 26 of the songs are going to be available through the uh, uh, Canadian Museum of History's webs their YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be an e version of the song a collection coming out next year and I'm keeping my fingers crossed because I'm hoping that they'll be able to link to uh, places such as the Broadside Ballad Collection at the Bodleian Library. Each song has a Roud number. Now most people don't know about uh, Steve Roud's Broadside and uh, Song Index but it links our collection, the songs in this collection, to that wider uh, collection of published material and in actual fact there's about 40 songs that are in this collection that have their very own new round number pleased to say <laughs> because this is the first time they've ever been published. Uh, Fair Fanny Moore is an example of a song that uh, was collected elsewhere but has never been published here. Um, um, Anna Gray has never been published here. This is a murder ballad. Um, so there's lots of really uh, the country and western song, record the number nine. One song that's really fascinating for me—I've got two minutes to play—is <laughs> a song called "The Rose in June," which was originally in Scotland in the 1860s. It's a song about a vessel that uh, 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 was wrecked at sea, and the men are praying on the vessel um, because it involved religion. Peacock. Uh, vanquished it from his collection and I found that it's not available in Scotland or anywhere in the British Isles except in a Newfoundland version and I think what happened is that the Newfoundlanders from the logging camps here went and heard that particular song in the logging camps when they were helping the loggers during World War II.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And then people went into uh, the Newfoundlander in the Your Favourite songs and started asking for the song with, you know, does anybody know this song? So it turns up in print here in uh, in that particular newspaper. So, uh,
0: Now, if people uh, want to get a copy of the book, the book launches November 30th here in St. John's, and then it will be available?
1: Um, it will be, I hope, available at Munn's bookstore, but people will be able to get it through the University of Autoprep- Ottawa Press uh, and also th- um through the Canadian Museum of History in Ottawa as well uh, and we're hoping to have it in other bookstores here in Newfoundland. So the launch is at the M-MAP Gallery uh, at the Arts and Culture Centre uh, and then it uh, will be available from there.
0: Excellent. Well thank you very much. It's it's. Uh, I feel like we could talk about Kenneth Peacock for hours and hours and hours um, but that's the end of our time so thank you very much. And uh, best of luck with the book. I hope it does very well.
1: Thanks very much. I Thanks really for being appreciate you having me here. Thank you.
0: I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH NL. Thanks for listening.